every time you see this opportunity for something, if there's value in it, if there's personal growth value, if there's something that can be gained from that in you as a person, in your character, in your work discipline, in your knowledge, in your leadership skills and abilities, then grab that and do it because that's really how we grow. You're listening to the Expertish Podcast. Be sure to head over to iTunes or Spotify and tell Jay what you thought about this episode. Expertish is where you can learn how to invest from those who have, those who are, and have some fun along the way. Are you ready to start? Hey, welcome to this episode of Expertish Podcast. Today we have Tony Taravainen with us from actually from Step Support the Enlisted Project, a great nonprofit here in San Diego. How's it going today, Tony? Uh, it's going great. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time out today. I know you're, you're, you're a busy man as well. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Could you just give us a little bit, let's talk a little bit about your background, just start off. So people get to know you a little, you're a veteran as well before getting out into the business world. So if you can give us a little bit of that background, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I spent first big chunk of my life in the military. My dad was uh, a career air force guy. So he spent 20 years in the air force. And he retired probably when I was around 16, 15 or 16. And then uh, by the time I was 17, I was in college, kind of not fitting in and opted to drop out. I joined the Navy myself. I spent eight and a half years in the submarine nuclear power field. So that was very enjoyable. I had a good time doing that. But after after eight and a half years, I received a medical medical retirement. So I the whole time I had been fighting some illnesses and they finally figured out what it was. And then I said, you can't be here anymore. So at 26, I was retired from the military and didn't know what I was going to do. I found a job in the local community here in San Diego at Sony Electronics. And the recruiter asked me, do you know how to fix robots? And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> I had no clue what a robot was, but I, I got the job and stayed there for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I think while I was at Sony there, that was really where I kind of grew up. The military time was very comfortable, very relaxing, obviously very time consuming and very critical responsibility laden work, but it wasn't, it wasn't my professional growth and development. It was, it was kind of that foundation for me. So once I got to Sony, I was on a back shift. So I, my, my first job was $12 and 10 cents an hour. I worked 548 at night to 548 in the morning, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and every other Saturday night or something like that. And that was a struggle. I mean, at first it was fun. Because we were only working three or four days a week, and we used to be in shift work at seven days a week, and the shifts were fine. But now we're making some money, so we all just kind of start picking up other shifts. And when I say we all, it was interesting because I had a room I was supposed to take care of. We were manufacturing the old school television tubes, just the glass part we would make, and it's quite a process. <laughs> it takes about eighteen hours to make each one, and it goes through five different functional process areas. And we had five different sizes, so we had you know twenty five of these different process areas. So on each shift, there was usually around 25 maintenance workers. And the maintenance worker was in charge of keeping the equipment in each of those rooms going. I was hired by this recruiter because he was looking for a lot of folks like me because they were expanding, adding more lines. They were out there hiring a bunch of people. And we were all kind of new together. Once we got in there, we started working. And it was a lot of the technical trades from the military, the people that just got out, that got this job. And the aptitude test we had to take for this was you know, just basic mechanical diagrams, basic electrical diagrams to, to make sure you really understood, you know, if this gear's got six teeth and this one's got seven teeth, how fast is this one going to turn in what direction and stuff like that. So it's pretty basic stuff, but it was, it was the technical trades from the military. 
And I think I had a, you know, a sonar tech on one side of me and a guy that did aviation electronics on the other side of me. And, and we all were on the same shift working next to each other. And we had our toolbox, we had our space and we had a mission, you know, right. red lights, bad, green lights, good, keep the product flowing, figure out the rest on the fly. And, and we just did it. So we kind of transitioned out of the military together from this very rigid, uh, very militaristic, military-like environment. And over the years, we slowly started integrating back into our communities. At around three-year point, maybe the two-year point, at some point, I, I determined this was not a sustainable lifestyle. And I started to go to school. You couldn't get any promotions at Sony without having a degree. Couldn't uh, progress up to supervisor. So I started going to school. I got my first degree after probably around five years or six years. By then I had worked my way all the way up through all the maintenance levels and I was the top maintenance level. And then I need, I was ready for a next step. A manager job came up and my, my supervisory team said that I should go out for the job and I got picked up for the manager's job. So I immediately went to the management level and then the director of manufacturing realized that he had a, a manufacturing manager now that knew the equipment very well because I'd been working in a lot of different areas. So he rearranged it. So all the maintenance workers worked for me. And it was kind of this cross, cross-functional structure that we put in place. And so now the people I used to work with for years down the line and the supervisors I used to work for all worked for me. And it was, it was very awkward, but it was really where I started to have to deliver on all that experience that I had over the years and all the leadership training. And now this, this degree that I have I realized I was in this technical position. I said, well, I should get a technical degree. So I actually went back to school again and got an associate's in nuclear engineering. And as soon as I did that, my boss moved me into the engineering department and had a bunch of professional engineers working for me. So at that point, I said, well, I should probably have an engineering degree if I'm going to be a real engineering degree. So I went back and finished my nuclear engineering degree. And that was, I did the three degrees there. And I got a lot of professional certifications in Six Sigma and Lean and Kaizen. Obviously, there's a lot of this process improvement. What we were doing there, Sony was very big in this. They were a big leader in it and, it, and it helped us and it helped us get through. So I finished up there as a chief maintenance engineer in charge of uh, almost a million square feet of automated manufacturing. We closed the factory down in 2006. And uh, after laying 2,500 people off at the factory, I laid myself off and empty, I had emptied out all the, all the manufacturing equipment was my last job. And it was just warehouse space. And as I was leaving the the demolition crew came in and knocked down millions of square feet of buildings. So that was kind of where I cut my teeth, kept out of the military. Mm-hmm. While I was at Sony, I'd started a couple small businesses with my wife. I had uh, started investing in real estate. So I had some rental properties that I was managing and I had purchased a, a small company. And I think they were probably like three or $400,000 in revenue at the time with my in-laws. And we'd moved that to San Diego and I was kind of in the process of building that. So I actually look forward to the chance to lay myself off from Sony because then I transitioned directly into kind of running my businesses. And for probably four or five years, I did that exclusively. Mm-hmm. And again, it was a really good chance and opportunity to exercise my skills. And, and this is really where you truly develop. And this goes back to how people understand kind of the value that they bring and then what drives them is. I'm like, I don't have a boss anymore. I'm not, I'm not trying to impress my boss. What I'm trying to do is make some money so I can pay my mortgage bill. What I'm trying to do is, is to be able to you know reinvest some of this some of this revenue that I get into the advertising marketing so I can grow. So when you sit down and you're writing strategies to grow your own businesses, when you're sitting down crunching the numbers on your own rental properties, it's it becomes very real. It does. 
it wasn't a challenge for me because I've always kind of operated in this survival mode as a military kid, as a military person, you're always responsible for taking care of your stuff. I think that's probably where I grew the most. From there, I went through an episode, obviously, 2007, I, I told you my house burned down in the wildfires, Right. lost everything there, and it was just back to ground zero. That kind of led to me getting divorced the next year. Now I have you know child support and alimony payment. And then we had the 2009 financial collapse coming into place, and I was just in a very big cash crunch. Right. And again, needing to find a solution, I could, I could put myself in my safe space all I wanted, but at the end of the day, I still had to come up with a solution. So I took another job consulting at Booz Allen Hamilton. A friend got me a, a gig there and that became my second job slash first job. And I would go do that during the day. And then at night I would come home and run my businesses. And obviously I'm still learning how to become a, a part-time single dad. So those are some big transition years. Right. And I realized again, I was kind of behind the eight ball at Booz Allen. So why not? I had a, a few extra minutes a week. So I started going to grad school at that point. And I did my master's degree at University of San Diego in executive leadership. So it's kind of, I didn't want to do the MBA. My brother was actually doing an MBA at the same time at, at UCSD. And I realized I didn't want to do that anymore. I don't want to crunch the numbers. Let me manage the number crunchers. And that's really what my kind of my degree was focused on. It was servant leadership and it really fit my style well. It fit who I was. You know, I developed a great relationship with Ken Blanchard who helped develop the program. You know, him and his wife even taught one of the classes for us. So it was really good to kind of get this bird's eye view of, of Ken Blanchard's version of, I guess, of just leadership, servant leadership right. from a, a position of caring and love. I mean, I think his title now is like chief spiritual officer. And he's just, he's just really good at communicating across about caring for people and, and learning from that was fantastic for me. While I was at Booz Allen, I started volunteering. I felt, I'll say somewhat inspired and then somewhat another way to get ahead. Mm -hmm. Booz Allen does a lot with volunteering in the community and there was an opportunity for somebody. So I said me, somebody to work with this military focused nonprofit to help them develop their long-term strategy. That was what I was doing at Booz Allen. That was my specialty area. So I said, I know it's like being a military family. I know how to develop strategy. I can learn about this nonprofit strategy. I can make some brownie points, and maybe make a difference. As I was working with the nonprofit, I started to learn more about it and became more interested in it. They wanted me around more. After about a year or so, they asked me to join their board of directors and not knowing anything about that, but sounding like a good opportunity for me to learn, I joined the board of directors and I started learning, understand this governance role. I needed to understand more about who we were serving. I knew them, those were me, but I wanted to go down and see how we were doing it. And I found myself getting reconnected to these military families, really being able to understand the positions they were in. And it brought some other strategic questions in my head. And one of them was really the fundamentals that we created step upon was like, it's great that we're handing out stuff and we're handing out band-aids to help people through these hard times, but what's the long-term solution? To what end are we just going to provide the support? And are we going to do anything that's going to like create lasting change or make it so that they never have to come back here again? to help us pay their mortgage bill or to help us turn the electricity back on or feed their kids or whatever it is. That really became the foundation. Several years later, the organization was going through a big change and myself and a couple of the board members said, you know what, let's just, let's do this the way we think is right. And we took those ideas and principles. We put them into step. I was on the founding board of directors. I quickly became chairman of the board, not because I wanted to, but it was, I was the strategy guy again. I was the guy that had started small businesses. They said I was the best guy for the job. And then the uh, the one employee we had for president that we kept, she left. I became interim president, and I said, "Wow, this is uh, this is a fun job to do part time." 
Booz Allen was super supportive, but after about six weeks, I decided that I wanted to commit myself full-time to it. And so I ended up leaving Booz Allen and became the CEO of Step. And I figured it would last about six or eight months and it's almost been eight years. So we'll see how much longer it goes for. But yeah, it's, it's been a whirlwind trip, but definitely those, those ideas about making sure you take care of yourself, you know, what's your, what's your plan A, what's your plan B, how am I going to get ahead? I've always felt like I was behind as a military kid. Right. We never felt like we fit. We always felt like everybody else was better than us anyway. I think even post, you know, well, that Booz Allen, I was still having those feelings. So what am I doing to get ahead? And that was really a big driver. Yeah. I'm like, this person who did their undergrad at Stanford and their MBA at Berkeley, now they're coming to me for advice. The guy that got his first undergrad degree at University of Phoenix in business management <laughs> because because it, you know, the classes fit with my shift work. Yeah. I think, you know, getting that master's degree really helped, but it became, it wasn't the piece of paper that helped. It was like how I could carry myself and how I could present myself. Right. And spending the time to really develop that part of it. And then this whole time I've been accepting you know, this responsibility, this whole time I look back and I see the, the, the crazy things that I've done and not sure how you did it. And you never want to get overly confident or cocky that you can do these things, but you start looking at this portfolio. And I, I try to do a lot of mentoring and as much giving back as I can in a lot of ways. And one of the common things I get when people want to help on a resume, they want to see my resume. I shook them and they're like, oh my gosh, I could never do all this stuff. And it really just kind of comes back to, I didn't do all that stuff in a week either. I didn't do all that yeah. two years. You know, this is just like, it's just how do you eat an elephant? It's just one bite at a time. You figure it out and you just start knocking these things off. And every time you see this opportunity for something, if there's value in it, if there's personal growth value, if there's value to other people, if there's something that can be gained from that in you as a person, in your character, in your work discipline, in your knowledge, in your leadership skills and abilities, then, then grab that and do it. Because that's, that's really how we grow. And that's right. what I've found. It's all I've ever had with me. And it's, it's gotten to me where I'm at today. A few things that you said that uh, really kind of speak to me to back, back to, even back to military, uh, you know, active duty military time is one, even what you said about uh, the first job at Sony, right? Hey, do you have experience with this? Sure, I do. Yeah. Like then you get there and you figure it out, right? I feel like a lot of times we see people like even in your own promotions in the military, outside the military, whatever, hopefully you're pushing yourself and you promote to a spot where you're going to learn. You're never prepared until you're there, right? Like you can prepare for something until you're doing it. I feel like you're not really prepared or you're not going to really understand. So I think that's huge. The other thing that each step along the way that you just mentioned was, okay, cool. I get into a position and I think, not like, cool, I've made it. It's like, how can I make this better? Whether it's because you feel like, hey, these people have more education than I do in this thing, but, or in this, uh, you know, whatever the subject is, you know, engineering and, and whatever it is you're doing, but just the mindset to think, okay, cool, I'm here now. Now it's time to figure out how to make sure that I'm serving properly, you know, how, make sure I'm bringing that value, make sure I'm taking care, you know, I'm in a, mm-hmm. put myself in a position to take care of that team. And I think that just something a lot of people can take to heart is you don't have to always feel 100% prepared for that next. You don't have to feel prepared at all in a lot of ways, you know, as long as you're willing to, to move forward and prepare yourself and get that experience, get that knowledge and do that, do what's right. You can get there without having that 100% solution before you make a move. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple, a couple of things I'll say there is in my, my retrospect. So I took over the job at Step. Mm-hmm. I was still very wrapped up in you know, this forward motion. And that's obviously the thing that's made step work. I think are a big contributor to it, but I came in 
not prepared at all to run a nonprofit. I didn't understand, truly understand the business elements of a nonprofit. Right. And more importantly, I didn't understand the role of the nonprofit leader. When it quickly sunk in my head that like I need to be the head fundraiser, I'm like, well, I don't even like fundraising. I don't even like talking to people, much less asking them for money. It's like, I don't, I don't. And that's like, I don't ask people for money. I don't ask people for help. I can make it do on my own. So yeah, I had to become that person the agency needed me to be. And I, I'll tell that to a lot of my employees. They're like, well, I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not comfortable. It's like, I'm not paying you to be you. And at the end of the day, I'm paying you to do this job description. Yeah. These are the things we need to do in this job. And that's what you need to do. I like you, but I like you doing these things too. And if you can't do these, then I have to like you somewhere else because I need to get something to get this done. Right. Now, can I work, you know, let's move this job person to that. And you try to like massage things and make it work with people, get them the training skills, support. Yes. All that. Yes, yes, yes. But in the, the day, we have to all perform these jobs. Right. And to the learning piece, there's a, a line I put on my resume a long time ago, and it sounded corny. And the more I hear it, the more it makes sense. And I talk about my my unique a uh, unique blend of hands-on and academic experience. And I think if you have this academic knowledge, which most of my academic knowledge came after I had the hands-on, yeah, you know, then you have a plumber with an engineering degree. It's not just a plumber that learned to trade from watching a lot of other people do it, right? They also know the theory and the discipline behind it. So you have somebody that has a lot of practice at these different levels and aspects and dimensions of leadership, and then also this leadership degree. And somewhere in the middle is this is what I call where the where the wisdom where the wisdom lies. The world cannot operate by academics alone, and the world can't operate by hands on alone, right? In the middle is where you really understand both sides of it because everything is a balance. There's no one right answer. The world is gray and we need to find the best place to be in that gray. What shade is best for this situation? And if we understand what it's like in these extremes, we can bring it back together in the middle. Somebody asked me about something and I was telling them about my ranch. So in there somewhere, I bought a ranch and I'm, I have a ranch business and I'm growing fruit and animals. And he said something about my goats. And he's like, he goes, I don't understand how you just like got a goat and didn't know anything about goats. I said, well, I said, I know goats are pretty smart and they're going to figure stuff out. And it's like, or they get into something. I'm like, you know, I had the goats for two years and then I bought a book on how to take care of goats. Right. And if I would have bought the book before I got the goats, none of it would have made sense. And I had the goats and I had a lot of questions, but I learned a lot about goats. Then when I finally get the book, now it's like, oh, now that makes sense because I see the goat doing that. Or I did feed the goat that and the goat got sick. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I did this or I did that. So it's like, kind of brings it together and it's it's a very simple way to yes be able to empower people to just go do stuff i mean obviously you're not going like, to invest your life savings into something you don't know about or something right like, well, goat for me i got six acres i need a bunch of weeds eaten somebody <laughs> said goats eat weeds and they said do you want a goat and i said yeah i'll take a goat <laughs> we'll figure this out how hard can it be right fresh right. water a little goat feed he's looking fat he's looking skinny whatever you can just carry that across so many other dimensions in life yeah, no, I agree. Like you, you definitely need, you, you prepare a little bit and then you go from there for sure. I, I think that that's, uh, I don't know. It, I like that you kind of rolled into a, the, the role you're in now, kind of the same way where it's, it's like every time you get, uh, I don't want to say master something or whatever, but you get to that top point of something, then it's like another challenge pops up and, and you're essentially just roll into a absolutely 180 degree different uh, field, different sphere altogether. So but, but you're right. That's how you build a resume like that too, right? So you know right. that you can do whatever you need to do when it comes down to it. Let's, if you don't mind, let's tell you, because we've talked about how you got to this nonprofit, to got into step, which I think is, you, as you know, we've talked, and I think this is an amazing 
nonprofit. I've worked with a couple before and tried to, you know, volunteer time or some money or anything to a couple before that are uh, good nonprofits, good, you know, mm-hmm. good causes. But, but this one, I think just aligns so well with kind of what our company message we want, you know, what we're working on at a different, I mean, from different angles and different stuff, but just, can you just kind of give us, I don't want to screw it up. So give us a little bit of that background of step and how you guys function, because I think it's phenomenal that it's not just the service that you guys give as far as providing, you know, certain things, but also the education piece and provide that. I think that's, to me, that's the part that speaks the most. It's not just helping people out of a tough situation, but it's providing that education needed to stay out of that situation. Right. So that, that really became the drive. It's like, to what end are we helping people through these financial crises? And the agency that we formed it out of had a program that was helping people in the financial jams. And, and, and the answer there was just kind of handing out money. And it wasn't a lot of money. And it wasn't, it wasn't done in the kind of the fairest way. It was kind of done how much ever money we had this month, something like that. And it's like, there needs to be something more sustainable in this. And I was aware of kind of what it looked like in the community, what the environment looked at. We were aware of what the community needed we were pretty sure there was going to be a demand for what we wanted to do. And this was kind of the strategy that we started it with. And we needed to make sure that the military families needed our service and the veterans needed that service. They couldn't get it somewhere else. We needed to make sure that the military leadership in the community was going to support us supporting their junior enlisted. And then we also wanted to make sure that the local community was going to fund this. We didn't want to become an extension of the government, another big program. We're just operating some bureaucracy. We just wanted to kind of be the middleman between the community and the military, helping them out through a crisis with a specific goal. And what that turned into was helping what we call young military families, so E6 and below, active duty and within their first 18 months of discharge, so transitioning veterans. We're going to help them if they get into a financial crisis. We're going to help them through that financial crisis. So at this point, they have a piece of paper that says eviction, repossession, disconnection, you know, cannot afford the transmission at the transmission shop, can't afford diapers, food, something, some basic essential like this. They're going to come to us in this crisis and say, can you help me? I can't feed my kids tonight. Can you help me? The electricity is getting turned off in two hours. In this moment, they're calling out for help. In this moment, their world got big enough that they are saying, I can't do this alone. I want it to be different. And I'm asking for your help. And so what I do is I put them in front of, she said this, you said it's education. Mm-hmm. So it's actually counseling. I've hired social workers. I connected with a social worker. We built a program. We actually built a short-term intervention, behavioral intervention, with focused on the behaviors of finance. And the families come to us, they don't know they're sitting down talking to a social worker, right? They know there's somebody there asking a lot of questions. They know somebody there's got a lot of knowledge about finances. All my social workers have a master's degree in social work. All of them are either veterans or military spouses. And some of them are both veterans themselves and military married to active duty. So they get the military world. They get the challenges. It's not our job to understand where you've been. It's our job to help you get where you want to go. We take you from this square. When you're asking for help in your moment of crisis, which is step one of change management, what's your burning platform? Step two is create a guiding coalition. Now you're going to have somebody in your team. You're going to have a professional social worker that's going to walk you through a system, an intervention process, a short-term intervention to help you address your financial situation, help you get your arms around it, educate you, help you understand it, and then help you devise a plan to get out. And what they do is they inspire you through these various methods to create a budget that works. They inspire you to create your own financial goals. They inspire you to pick a plan to fund those goals. Mm-hmm. Inspire you to get all your debt together, and then you figure out a debt reduction plan. At the end of this process, 
you have worked out your own financial future through their questioning, through their leading, through their empowerment, through their education, through their counseling. They've helped you solve your problem. And this is where we get this huge amount of buy-in. This is where we get this kind of skin in the game from that military family. Right. And then they say, look what I did. And when you sit back and say, yes, look what you did. Now you're going to leave. And in 30 days, we're going to call you again because we can guarantee it's going to be a train wreck. It all got <laughs> turned over. And we'll call you again in two months because it got turned over again, right? But each time we're going to help you figure out how to get back on track. And then we do that for one month, two months, and three months. And then they kind of get it. And then we follow up at six and 12 months. And what we're able to create is a situation where nine out of 10 of the people at the one year post-intervention are in an increasing and ever-increasing financial state of well-being. Yeah. So they're continuing to get better. They're still continuing on their path to see their goals. If we have to put some money on the table, if somebody's got to pay that landlord, if somebody's, you know, it's all going to fall apart if I can't get the car back because we can't afford the transmission or, um, you know, electricity needs to be off. We can't wait for a week with electricity off until that next pay cycle. So it's, we'll pay the landlord. We'll pay the transmission shop. We'll pay the utility company. We'll give you some food. We'll give you some diapers. We'll bridge you to your new plan goes into effect and then you got it. Right. So it's a huge amount of empowerment. It's a huge amount of education. $2.3 million in grants we've given out across about 5,700 cases. Right. We've been doing that now for nine years here in Southern California. Uh, during COVID, before COVID, how you want to look at it still, we're in the process of expanding to Washington State as well, adding another 7% to the 13% of the military that we serve here. So it'll take us up to 20% of the military. It's our first pilot expansion. Uh, the community really wants us up there. The military leadership wants us up there very similar to how it was in San Diego. And about 25% of our cases now are coming from Washington state. Yeah. That's a big move. What about like, uh, I think it's great that you're able to track that and that you're able to come up with, you know, you're, you're saying essentially 90% of success, you know, by tracking that beyond just that initial help, which I think is a failure for a lot of, I don't know, a lot of groups that would want to provide help and stuff. And it's not, you know, obviously it's well-intended, but without that follow-up, there's no way to really know what kind of impact, long-term impact it's making. I think that that's huge. But did you have numbers before you initiated, you know, the social work, that kind of facilitation, that kind of, uh, you know, education or, or mentorship to move beyond, you know, them helping take care of the stuff themselves? Did you have numbers prior to that to be able to see what kind of turnaround that was? Yeah, we didn't, uh, we didn't have enough rigor in the system to be able to Got track you. that. It okay. was it was really just kind of handed out, and people came back again. So there wasn't there wasn't a method to track it. But you know, if our program was fifty percent successful, it would be wildly successful. Ninety percent right. is just like unheard of, and it, it brings a lot of challenges, which which I'm perfectly fine with because you know help us look at the numbers. Yeah, I know that that, that only four percent of the families of those or fifty seven hundred families we've helped, only four percent of them have ever come through a second time. Gotcha. So they know we give away free money. They know we give out grants. I mean, you right. can call back and talk to us anytime you want, but if you want more money, you can come back too. Mm-hmm. And only 4% come back for more money. So it's it's an amazing number. And I think it really just comes back to, you know, we don't tell the clients, we don't like, you know, we're handling this from behavior and you have behavior issues. Yeah. We talk about financial habits with them, but it's the same thing. And they're like, yeah, they recognize I need help with my finances. Right. People can live on any amount of money. I can't change how much money the families make. Yeah. But now I can help them be financially sustainable, right? I can't change the cost of living in San Diego, but yet I can make them become financially self-sustainable. And all we have is them. They're the only, they're the only variable and those habits and how they actually use that money. Right. A lot of people have struggled with, 
with the concept of money across the country. When I did my TEDx talk uh, two years ago, I, I was really challenged on how to how to get the audience to relate to this military family because you get so much, so many questions back that military families should be in better situations. They have everything done for them, and it's it's just not true. I went back to study and I and I presented the financial situation of America in general, right? The financial habits. And I open up the talk because it's three out of five Americans spend their entire paycheck or more each month. That's a fact, right? Half of all Americans, 47%, can't come up with $400 to combat an unplanned emergency. That's a fact. I mean, that's America. So on average, America's financial habits are very bad, right? And then every year, 200,000 of those people with bad financial habits join the military. Right. 18 to 24 years old, right? And this is the world they're growing up in. And then what do we do to them? We rip them out of their home environment. We take them out of the neighborhood with their mom and their brother and their high school buddies. We move them across the country every two or three years with what? Two to $5,000 of unreimbursable expenses. So with that, the spouse goes in a 50% unemployment, underemployment rate. Um, we deploy that service member between a half a third of the time. So now you're shifting back between single family or single parent home, dual parent home. We pay 70% of them a low income wage. And we're putting that service member into the third most deadly occupation in America, where over the last 30 years, more service members have died from work-related accidents than any other cause. It's just like, it's dangerous to practice to play war, much less play war yeah, or go to war. How, how do you expect this family is going to be any better than yeah. the average family? There's just, there's just no way. So my military background, I connected very easy with that. This is, was who I was when I was younger. I got away from that and I learned, I learned to solve problems. And when I came back and I was faced with this question about what are we doing with this nonprofit? It's like, you know what? Let's take these two to put them together and let's problem solve with this situation. And that's how we came to creating this change management process, the social work behavior intervention laid across this change management process. Well, it's working. So that's, that's amazing. I think I kind of, I don't know, not to get into a lot of different subjects, but I think a lot of our government programs, a lot of the things that we do to really make an impact, I feel like a lot of times we just put band-aids on things, you know, our government will hand money, a different thing, whatever the hot topic is, you know, whether it's homelessness, a lot of times, and, you know, not every every project or something, but, you know, homelessness, drug, uh, you know, abuse, anything like that. We throw oh, money, lot, stuff, yeah. you know, throw takes, money, not, uh, not really dig in to make that change. And there's but, not a lot of agencies that do the change. There's not exactly. a lot of people that do hands-on program execution. I mean, it's exactly it's dirty. It's messy. It's it one-on-one. -on -one. If you want the good results, you need to spend the time and to do that, right. you spend the money and to do that. You need to build a relationship. You need the right culture. Mm -hmm. there's a lot of advocacy groups out there. There's a lot of information groups out there. There's a lot of kind of clearing houses out there. There's not a lot of people that do the hands-on work. Right. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate what you guys are doing. I think it's amazing. How about, uh, let's talk about some of the ways that you guys raise money so we can, so people know, uh, because I, I think that, you know, obviously it's a very good cause and especially, you know, a lot of our listeners are military or veteran community. And I think it's a, a great uh, place to spend a little money. If, you know, if you have it to give, can you talk a little bit about uh, some of your avenues or where to go to and to yeah, well, we're, or volunteer? We're, you know, basically community, community funded mm -hmm. and we receive donations from the community. So from corporations, from foundations, from individuals, from other nonprofits or other agencies, this is where we raise our money. 
our website is the place to go. So it's teamstepusa.org. And that's really the way into everything we do. There is a little fields in the top left corner, I think it is now, that says apply for services, volunteer your time, or donate. That's what we do. We help military families solve that crisis, move forward. The community volunteers with us. We'll get 7,000 hours or so a year of support from the community in executing all the various things we do. And then we get the donations from the community uh, to fund that. We don't have giant fundraisers. We do have a golf tournament. We do have kind of timed fundraisers on various social media platforms and things like that. But we don't have the gala. We don't have national exposure. We're just kind of really community oriented. The community side to it is important to us because they not only give us cash, but we also go back and ask these for, we just finished up for our back to school events. So if the community doesn't know about me, they can't support me. So I can go to the community and say, hey, we're going to give a bunch of backpacks to military families. Would you guys like to donate some? Would you like to collect some at your place of work? Would you like to collect some at your church? And then you can you can donate them to us and then we can give them to the military families. And we do that for Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter. We do it all the time for diapers and baby clothes. We have a small warehouse full of stuff for young families that, that military families can come get. So all these things besides cash that the community gives us through these you know, different types of in-kind donations or the volunteer time, they help us execute the mission and they help us integrate our knowledge and the awareness of our brand into the community. And then we can use those things that they give us and then we can go to the military and say, hey, you might not be getting evicted right now or you might not have your last car being repossessed, but if you need diapers, I got diapers. I got food, I got backpacks, I got Christmas gifts, I got Thanksgiving gifts, I got a bunch of baby clothes here. Come take this stuff. As long as this program delivers a positive brand impression to these military families, they remember what STEP's about. That's the place you go when you're really in financial trouble. And they got some cool stuff they give away. If that also offsets some kind of cost, right, or provides some education training, then it's a win. We don't do these secondary programs just to do them and like run a bunch of money across our books through these donations. These are strategic. This is my marketing program, marketing the community by asking for these things, helping share my message out there. And then we share that message on base because that military community is turning over yeah. right? every year, 30% leave new people come in. So we constantly have to be going out there, let them know we're here to take care of them. Yeah. And the majority of people that come to us requesting services come from a personal referral, like 90, whatever percent and 65% of those referrals come from on base. So building those relationships is really critical. Right. Right. I mean, I don't know. That's, I think just being so community based is such a huge thing. I know that we have some, uh, definitely anyone that I've spoken to so far are excited to try to get out and volunteer, uh, just because of, to me, I kind of lead with, I'll be honest too, I lead with those numbers with the first time we spoke of that 90% rate uh, because you do follow up. And I think that that really speaks to a lot of people as well, because sometimes people want to donate time or money or, you know, goods, but they want to know that it's making an impact. Right. You know, and, and I think that, uh, it, and I get it, it's difficult to track. It takes your time. It takes resources for you guys to track that and do that follow up. But I think that that's huge. And, and that's the th one of the things that really, um, made it impact me or, or kind of a lasting impression on me and then sharing to other people. I, I, I kind of lead with that when I'm talking about your program, just because most of the people I know are like, oh shit, they follow up with this and they know that it is making that impact and it's making a difference. And that's where they would rather spend money, you know, and I don't blame them, you know, that 
I think that's huge. Uh, you did mention golf tournament. So I know that we'll be, we're going to be promoting some of that as much as we can. Um, I know, you know, uh, the landing collective, our, our residential, the real estate team side of, of this, um, we're going to be one of the sponsors for that, but we definitely want to promote. We're going to probably give away a couple golfing spots. Uh, you know, we definitely recommend people getting online there to, to see, see if they want to come out and play or, or if they can donate or whatever, we're going to give away a couple of our spots or either draw or give away some active duty members probably each we might buy it purchase a couple more and do the same thing raffle that off and just kind of get people out to have a little bit of a uh, mm-hmm. good time and and you know raise some of that money and, and have some fun so anyone that wants to come and kick my butt in some golf not that it, that would be super difficult but uh hit me up and we'll we'll try to get something worked yeah. out but uh how about a little of that i mean because this is going to be actually you guys have put together a phenomenal uh event there you yeah. know that's in september, september if you want to tell uh, a little bit about that September 17th, right? Mm-hmm. So at La Costa, we're going to play La Costa. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fee is $250. So it's about half of the normal price to play La Costa. Most right. nonprofit tournaments, they play up there between $400 and $600. Right. Ours is a $250 because we're, because we're, I don't know why, because we figure <laughs> we can make sure we have enough people there is, is what it came down to. But, you know, it's, it's a time for people to get together. Obviously, you're going to play some golf. We're going to have some fundraising activities. But it also be an opportunity to learn a lot about military families, hang out with some military folks, get out there to play, and and really celebrate the work that we're doing in the community. This this is a community effort. There's people out there that want to support it. There's people out there that want to learn more about it. And this is a great opportunity for people to come out and join us. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it and embarrassing myself out there. It should be a good time. We've had a good time every year. I think this is our fifth one that we've done. So You're, are you playing? You're playing, right? No, I don't. A, I don't play golf. Uh-huh. Uh, and B, more importantly, I spend the time. I actually drive backwards around the course, uh-huh. handing out beer. Oh, that's way. You, you had right. me. So you I had just me get right to there. meet all the golfers. I can chat with all the golfers, and I can I can get them all uh, properly uh, positioned Re- mentally. For, refreshed. For, yeah. For the fundraising, <laughs> they're gonna be ready. Right. Uh, inhibition, they won't be embarrassed to, to raise their hand to buy uh, stuff in the fundraising sessions. But. Hey, well played, you know, always the strategist I see. Definitely out there. And, and again, it's back to the role of the CEO is, is, is being the head person out there that, that kind of shares that message. Well, hey, I, hopefully we can share your message even more. Hopefully we'll do lots of things together. I, I really, you know, this is one thing that I definitely am passionate about. I love that, you know, that mentorship, education, however you want to roll that into, you know, just really making that dis, uh, a difference, not just to people that are absolutely needed at that time, you know, an emergency situation, but just ongoing anytime, you know, I think that just sharing uh, mentorship and education of what all of us, you know, anyone has learned already sharing that and, you know, passing that down just betters us as a community in general. So I think that's well, it's, huge. Yeah. And it's, it's the message of, of success and the message of our future. I mean, we, I talked to my daughter who's 16, my oldest daughter's 16. And, you know, what can I do to prepare her for the world that she's going to grow up in? And, and the most important thing I tell her is you need to make sure that you can take care of yourself. Yeah. I mean, you need to think about this degree that you're going to get. You need to make right. sure that you can earn a living off it. And one of the things my dad asked me early, I mean, our career planning and our college planning was near non-existent. Right. But when I was thinking, talking about life after high school, his question to me seemed stupid at the time. He just he just said, how much money do you want to make? And the more I think about it, it's more where people need to start. So what do you want to do with your life? Yeah. You know, you're not going to make 
you're not going to make millions of dollars a year with a social work degree or a teaching degree or a teaching goal or career. You're going to make, you want to make millions of dollars a year. Then you need to go where the money is. You need to go to wall street. You need to get into finance. You need to, you need to have personality that matches that. So figure out how much money you want to make. And my, you know, my father's career was completely put together by himself. I think he ran away from home at 17 before he joined the air force. My mom grew up in Wichita, Kansas, uh, with some foster parents. I mean, neither one of these parents were off, off to a running start with the silver spoon in their backpack and, you know, going out to take over the world. They're yeah. both in their own right, completely self-made. And, and I think a lot of the messages my dad shared, and this is one of the reasons I'm really happy that the landing, um, landing collective team and, and white feather, this message you bring about Again, it's back to what we're talking about building yourself for success, building yourself for the future, always looking towards that next step. And real estate for my for my dad, um, he didn't buy his first house until he was getting ready to retire from the military. Right. And then and and then he got into real estate and was able to, you know, use these different principles of leverage and interest to build some sort of financial future for himself. Right. And I remember I was, I was maybe 20. I was stationed at Norfolk Naval Base. I was on a submarine down there and he picked me up one night from the barracks and said, we're going to buy a house. I think I just reenlisted and he was going to take my reenlistment bonus and put it in some down payment for a house. And on the drive there, I, I was like, I'm pretty sure I can't afford a house. I mean, I was that's all I knew, right? Houses must be expensive. Right. I said, what's the payment on something like this? And he said, $420. The house was like, $70,000 or something like that. Right. And it was in Newport News. So it's other side of the bridge, but he'd found it. I think maybe at this point he was like a, a loan officer at a, at a mortgage company or something like that. And friends around the network. So he kind of made it happen very easily. I get into the lawyer's office. I signed the papers and uh, I was it. I'm a homeowner. But I'd said to him on the way there, I said, I, I can't afford $420 a month. He said, it's a three bedroom. Get two of your buddies from the submarine, pay, charge $200 each. They can take two bedrooms downstairs and you have the bedroom upstairs. I was like, wow, that works. Yeah, right. And, and that was it. I was a homeowner. It was amazing going from an, a lifetime as a, as a kid in military housing to, you know, that I had dorms in college. And we had this little episode in the middle where we owned a house. But then I'm back in the dorms and then I'm uh, in barracks. And, and getting a house was great. And then I moved to San Diego and I was kind of back to renting. I got out of the Navy. I was in an apartment down in El Cajon. And it was just like, I would come home from Sony at my apartment and I'd be like, just, just, I just like really couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. And I found a realtor that I trusted that some other people had trusted that I liked. And we found a house out in Santee for, uh, you know what it was then? 157,000. I think it was three bedroom, two bath ranch with some illegal additions on it, like everything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we bought it and I had a house and it was just great. And I could just, I could work on it. I couldn't afford people to come in, but I could work on it. I figured right. out stuff enough. And from there, I think a couple of years later, I bought a duplex down the street and I've never, I've never used a management company for any of my properties. And mm-hmm. I've probably, I don't know how many I've had 10, 12, 15. Um, I've always kind of done it myself. 
And it's not total rocket science, but you can't be stupid about it. Right. You need to be able to take care of it and you need to have, you know, your reserve funds. Most of them, when I bought them, honestly, I was underwater on them and I was supplementing the cash flow because I couldn't afford to do the bigger down payment. Right. So either I had PMI or I had a lot of repairs because this was like the only thing I could afford. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't buy down the interest rate. So it's just like, I was usually upside down on it. It usually take yeah. a couple of years, but then once I would get right side up, obviously Southern, Southern uh, California housing market helped. Yeah. But within a couple of years, they would all be cash flow positive. And then you would just slowly kind of up the rents work, maybe, you know, a refi here or there, you can get a rate better. So start yeah. reducing your expenses, um, do, do other things that could either increase your cash flow as far as rent or, reduce the water expenses or things like that in each of the units. So just doing that over the years has been, has been tremendous for me. And it's allowed me, you know, fast forward now 20 something years of this, it's allowed me to leave Booz Allen. Right. Right. Leave the, leave that, um, that Booz Allen salary, come into this, come into this nonprofit salary and say, that's okay because I'm making a difference now. And I don't, yeah. I don't need to make all that money because I, I did that already, you know, let's combine that with, you know, kind of the other businesses, mm-hmm. whether I made money off them or just sold them. And, you know, they were a build up in a, a liquidation or whatever. Yeah. You know, these types of activities where a person takes control of their, not just their, the revenue from their job, but it's like their own financial portfolio, yes. and whatever kind of side gigs, whatever kind of side hustles, whatever kind of investments, the end of the day it's you it's you against the machine yeah you know, and that's that's the machine out there and you got to carve out your piece for you your family what do you what do you want to do with those families right you want to leave it up to the you, wanna, you just want to hoist your sail and get blown around or do you want to do you want to drive into that storm and come out the other side you know with your, with whatever you want whatever makes you happy whether it's kids a wife a car money security good good deeds whatever it is yeah. Well, and you, you know, and that's something I was thinking a minute ago when you were saying like your dad asked you like, Hey, how much money do you want to make? And and you're right. You have to choose that career, choose what, you know, uh, if that's, if that's your goal, you have to either choose that job or career that will get you there or choose the one you love and find another way to do it. Right. right. Like, you exactly. know, you know, there's more than one way to do it, you know? And, and I, I think that that's the people that find a way to do that that's amazing too. You know, like you yeah. definitely, you know, you, you, I'm sure left a very, uh, I guess a more, uh, stable, like you knew that money was coming in from booze out, right? Like that's, that's going to happen. And oh, yeah. but then to do something that spoke to you that you wanted to do, but you still made it, you, you're going to make your money some one way or another, because you're going to figure out how to do that, move on, whether it's real estate investment. Cause I mean, that's, what's helped me, um, or whether it's stocks, whether it's starting another business, mm-hmm. any of those things, there's so many things that you can do and still have that fulfillment of doing the career that you really want or the life you want. Right. It's the life you want. And it's not, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just not all about the money and you can't mm-hmm. make it that way. And people might come up to my house and, you know, that's kind of big estate on this big ranch. It's like, wow. Nonprofit's doing well. <laughs> like, you know, nonprofit has like nothing. In fact, opposite <laughs> right. impact on this. You know, this was right. like this was other stuff. This was this was Tony and his. You know, my wife has her own consulting firm now that that she started because she found a niche and she found clients and she she threw away her other career to start her own business. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 really. I think we would be so much better 
if more people had that understanding, I agree. You need exposure to mentors to do that. I mean, she, she was like, "This I can't start a company." Right. And it's like, Dax, you got old clients calling you. You try to give them the business to this. Nobody else wants to do the work. You know what you can charge. You know what they used to charge for you. You can do this on your own. And she, and she legitimately would take vacation from one job and then go do her other job. Right. And then she did that for a year or so. And then finally, she got a call from some agency in Tennessee and they're like, Hey, we got a six week gig for you. And we talked about it and we formed her company. I helped her form her company and she, uh, she left work at whatever on Tuesday at five o'clock from her last job. That was her last day. She gave her two weeks notice. Right. And Tuesday night she was on the red eye flying out and Wednesday morning she started her new job, new career, new client, short term. And, you know, with her contacts, with her personality, with her work deliverables, with the reputation that she's created, with the brand and marketing, right. she's been able to roll from client to client to client. And then she's built relationships and partnerships where she subs to other people, other people sub to her. She's got people she can call. And it's this very flexible network of, of experts in right. different areas that can do the things and she continues to manage that. Right. She doesn't want to hire anybody. Right. She doesn't want that hassle. And she knows that would be the next level, but she yeah. doesn't want that. She wants to work four days a week and spend one day a week with her kids. Yeah. And that's, and that's all she wants to do. And that's enough for her. And it's, and it works in our scheme. If she right. had to double down, work 12, 14 hour days, you know, somebody else take care of the kids and do the six or seven days a week. She could. Right. But, and that, that really helps the flexibility and that helps with it all. So, right. It's like that mindset that this life is mine. Right. Let me find some people that have conquered theirs. Yeah. See what I can learn from. And it's like, there's, you know, there's tons of people on YouTube. Yeah. And there's, uh, there's some great YouTube channels I watch and they, you know, it's just a lot of stuff, but you have to aggregate that information for yourself. One of these guys even says, you know, you should never take advice from some random guy on YouTube like me. <laughs> Right. But here's what I'm saying. This is who I right. am. And this is what I'm saying. Go check it out. Figure it out. But these are there's a lot of inspirational message out there. There's a lot of educational and same as the program we offer. People don't know how to get their arms around their finances. They're not they're not stupid people. They're it's not for a lack of education. These didn't all click in their head. It's like right. I just lived this so many ways. And getting your arms around your finances. Oh now getting your arms around starting a business or getting your arms around buying a house. Once you've done it, ask people after the first time, it's like, oh, this is, it's easy to do. Right. If you get in with the right people and everybody's got a bad story about everything, but yeah, we can't let that control us, our destiny. No, no. And you can, if you don't control your life, your life, your life's going to go on. So you're going to end up somewhere. So if you're not choosing the direction, you know, I I don't want to (laughs) just, I don't want to see where I wind up when I'm not choosing, you know, my 16 year old is talking about being a psychologist and so we're kind of like laying out different scenarios of the strategies and she's going to have to four years of four years of undergrad work. And then psychology school is another six years. And then in there, she's going to do an internship. So I say, Hey, you know, you could do your internship and your, you could join the air force and they would pay for your psychology school. And then you would owe them six years after, but then you could get like free intern time. You get six years on the job training. You get paid as a Oh one, the whole time you're in school and you get out, you're an Oh three. So and she looks at me and she goes, but dad, I'll be 34 when I get out. <laughs> I said, well, you're going to be 34 anyway. Yeah, right. No matter what, you're going to be 34. Would you rather be 34 or $200,000 in debt 
right? And struggling to find your first job as Very a psychologist, psychologist yeah. or have been making decent money your entire school. All your school is paid for. And now you've got investments. Now you've got savings. Now you've got a life. Now you've traveled the world. Now you've yeah. seen all kinds of different problems. And you've got the discipline and strengths of military experience. And you said you wanted to join the FBI anyway. And going from the military to some type of civil defense like that is is much easier. So it's like right. working out these strategies with these kids. But yeah, it was just like, I'm going to be 34. It's like, <laughs> you're going to be 34 anyway. Seriously. How do you want to, what kind of 34 year old you want to be? Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, and, really I can, and I can remember thinking the same things. Like, you know, I couldn't think past 30 when I was, you know, early 20s or when I first came Came up. I mean, you know, we've talked before too, you know, a little bit of similar background in Virginia with, with, uh, college and, you know, by, by year two, I was more interested in playing rugby and drinking beer. So that, that ended up to the Navy career. Right. So, right. I mean, it's not, uh, and because part of that is you just, I couldn't think beyond certain things. I knew I wasn't doing what I needed to do at that time. I needed to find something else, more direction and kind of went out to seek it. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, but it's hard when you're, when you're young, like 16, I can't imagine thinking past 34, but it's great to have someone and not everyone has, not everyone has someone even, even as a mom or dad or something that has that experience to be able to, to phrase it that way and go like, Hey, you're going to be there anyway. And you happen to have that knowledge of, of a solution to get to where she wants to go without debt by adding experience, you know, all those type of things. Not everyone has that. So, um, you know, good for her to be able well, to, I tell, I'll tell you one last thing to close this yeah. out. And it's, um, people ask me about mentors. In my life. Mm -hmm. I tell them, you know, sadly, I think I squandered a lot of these opportunities because for a long time, I didn't think I never had any mentors or anybody in my life that could help me move forward. Right. And now as the CEO, that has to mix 65% of his speeches need to talk about personal experiences. I've had to over the last eight years go through all these personal experiences. And I've come yeah. to the conclusion that, I mean, I've jacked up plenty. Trust me. I realize that, <laughs> but there's no way I could have succeeded along all these different roads. I succeeded along without people there pulling for me, yeah. without people whispering in my ear, without people saying things influential that I made these better decisions than the bad decisions. Yeah. So in retrospect, they were there and people should know that if they're trying hard to do something and they're, they're scratching, yeah. right. There's going to be people that hear you scratch and they're going to come and say, Hey, what's up? And you need to recognize them as the mentors. They are sure. or the value that they bring to that situation. Cause I feel that I, I could have done much better recognizing, thanking. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, getting further information out of these, out of these folks that helped me along the way. So None of us can do it on our own, but we don't, we're not all starting at square one. There's right. people have done this before us. We don't need to repeat the mistakes of the past. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, and if you seek them out or, or just recognize, I know I've same thing in the past, I've had mentorship that I didn't realize was mentorship. And I've had things that didn't even hit home until later when I'm like, holy crap, like that was, that was some really important information that I kind of glossed over, not recognizing yeah. what it is. But if you show like true intent to, to make something better or that you have a direction you want to go, someone will help you. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, Hey, Tony, man, I really appreciate you, uh, again, taking the time to talk to us today. I, I think that there's, you guys just offer such a tremendous benefit and support to the community and stuff. So I'm looking forward to definitely growing, uh, with support with you guys and definitely encourage everyone 
listening to take a look, you know, again, it's team step USA, correct? Teamstepusa.org. There you go. Take a look at that and see, uh, see what you're, see what they're all about. And if there's anything you can do to help out or support, please do it. Uh, feel free to reach out to us as well at expertishpodcast.com. If you need, you know, any more information on them or, or the golf tournament, if you want to come out and play, you know, they'll have a link on their website, hit up ours, same thing. You can hit up our website. We'll get you out there one way or another and, uh, have a good time and, and, uh, you know, support such a good cause. So Tony, thanks again, man. Appreciate it. And I'll be seeing you on the 17th or before okay. that. Yeah. And I- <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. And then obviously for blending collective to support and coming together in community. Thank you. Absolutely, man. Thank you.